This is an OSV Podcast Network production. To learn more, visit osvpodcasts.com. Do you want to learn theology but don't have the preparation or the time? The Catholic Theology Show, hosted by Michael Dauphiné, professor of theology at Ave Maria University, will help you discover the riches of our Catholic theology and come to know God better as He has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. Here, Dr. Dauphiné and fellow scholars discuss great theologians such as Aquinas and C.S. Lewis and topics like the Bible and conversion. Find the Catholic Theology Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit the link in the show notes to listen and subscribe today. For this episode, we're welcoming guest Deanna Johnston from the Diocese of Tyler. I also serve in the Diocese of Tyler and have the joy of being able to walk alongside her and serve alongside her in ministry. So many wonderful moments in this episode. Uh, Deanna shares how she, in a lot of ways, is the fruit of beautiful and faithful accompaniment from a Catholic community, from Catholic schools, from her parents. And that comes through, like the fruit when we're accompanied well. Also, as Deanna talks about accompaniment, she speaks about hope as giving us courage to take the next step, knowing that Jesus is always there, our great accompanier, if that's a word. Enjoy the episode. This episode's guest is Deanna Johnston, a friend, uh, a woman I have the joy of ministering with in the Diocese of Tyler. And Deanna, I'm going to put your business in the street. We know that if we do stay together, if we walk and talk and work and play and stand together in Jesus' name, we'll be who we say we are, truly Catholic. And we shall overcome. Welcome to Hope Stories with Black Catholics with me, your host, Sister Josephine Garrett. When I wrote my book, Hope and Invitation, I discovered that it was such a gift to be able to share my own story of hope, reflecting on the church, reflecting on Jesus and the Eucharist. That inspired me to invite more people to share hope stories. And so we're beginning with Hope Stories with Black Catholics, a gathering of Black Catholics from around the United States who share their own stories of hope, their hope for Black Americans in the church, and their hope for the church as a whole. She is carrying in her womb her fifth child, her tiebreaker <laughs> from between boys and girls. She have the huge honor. Uh, that's my sixth godchild in her womb. And so that's that's the introduction I have. Dee and I know we met in a Walmart parking lot uh, in Tyler, Texas. <laughs> yes, we did. You, you came up to me and thanked me for wearing my habit, even though it was like my my shopping habit. Like it was a skirt and a blouse. I thought she's so nice. She didn't judge me for being in these shopping clothes. <laughs> But Deanna, please share for our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yes, I'm Deanna Johnston. I am married to my husband, Michael. We are celebrating 10 years of marriage this year. And like you said, I have four kids, two girls, two boys, and our tiebreaker is in the womb. <laughs> and due in a few months, your godchild, a little boy, still working on names. <laughs> and I am also the director of family life for the St. Philip Institute in the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. And I do a lot of marriage formation for engaged and newlywed couples, also marriage formation for married couples because we all need ongoing formation. Mm. Self-proclaimed natural family planning, fertility awareness nerd. 
Um, I can really <laughs> geek out on stuff like that. But yeah, I use those passions to serve other people of East Texas. You like making priests in our diocese uncomfortable by making them learn about NFP, which yes, is right and just. So great. <laughs> it is so, it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> like, Very here's good. a uterus. <laughs> Learn, Father, learn. <laughs> um, Deanna, with this podcast, like what, what the joy of having these conversations has been is just like, I don't know, each guest like sharing their faith journey, but like yeah. starting sometimes where we don't normally start. Like a lot of times we don't start where we were young. And so we were sharing like our relationship with Jesus. I would just would love to hear what faith was like growing up in the Jones household. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was church like for you? What did Sundays look like? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. When my dad got out of the military, we moved there. So some of my earliest memories are there. And it's really where my parents started practicing the faith. They baptized me Catholic. And I think it was like just in case sort of a thing. But Mm. we really didn't practice. We weren't practicing Catholics when we moved to Memphis in 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was like a relapsed Catholic and my mom was Episcopalian at the time, but it was being in Memphis that really amplified our family's faith. Uh, I went to Catholic school from first through 12th grade and wow. being part of Catholic school had such a major impact on my faith journey, on my family's faith journey, because it was there that I learned about the Eucharist. It was my first experience of really going to mass on a regular mm. basis. My first grade teacher, Sister Connie, <laughs> she taught me the Hail Mary, our father, all of those prayers. It was my first experience of going to adoration. Um, and I just have a deep sense of gratitude for those 12 years of Catholic education because that's where a lot of our community was. But it was also where I was getting these first experiences of the faith. So when my mom converted to Catholicism when I was in second grade, that really, I think, just brought out a lot in our family life or just brought us closer to what it means to be a Catholic family, like the parish and the school just accompanying us in that journey. It was just like the core of of who we were. At the same time, it's really interesting because as we were preparing for this podcast and thinking about our experience of parish life, you know, as a, as a Black Catholic family, we were really one of the only ones in mm-hmm. the, the parish. There weren't really other families that looked like us. So I think that's kind of where a lot of my identity, when it came to people asking me the question, like, what are you? The first thing that came to mind was, well, I'm Catholic. <laughs> like, that's, mm. that's how I identified. That's my community. That's what I've experienced. And I know we'll talk about this more, but even just being, you know, one of the only Black families in the parish, but also being the only Black student in my class was an experience that I had for, for most of my elementary and high school education. Like there were other minorities, but I was the only in Black the Catholic yeah, uh, or Black student in, in the class. But mm. I think we had a deep sense of community within the parish. Mm-hmm. My dad was a deacon. He was ordained in 2000. I was an altar server. I was involved in youth group just a very unique experience, I think, and being in Memphis too. What do you remember, if anything, from when your mom became Catholic? You know, if I had to ask you, this is like a little bit of a counselor question, like what's the <laughs> the most intense image that comes to mind when you remember mom becoming Catholic? And you yeah. had to hand me a Polaroid. What would yeah. be in that Polaroid? My mom's reverence. Hmm. That is what comes to mind. She had a deep reverence for 
the Eucharist. And it's funny because she and I received the Eucharist in the same school year. I think she came into the church in October and I received my first Eucharist in in April. And everyone never really thought about that. But I I just know that my mom had a deep reverence because she knew she knew that she was missing something. And I I just have this image of her um, at times being very emotional about Mm. being able to receive or when she couldn't receive the Eucharist and had a hunger. I remember recognizing that. Even as a little girl. Yeah. Oh, gosh, how beautiful. And then to know you now and know your devotion to the Eucharist. Mm. And I mean, to think (laughs) about the root it probably has in that image of your mom. Gosh, I'm struggling because part of me wants to move on and part of me wants to ask. I'm going to ask what I desire to ask. I'm going to try to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, girl. You know, some days it'll happen. (laughs) Um, I I do want to ask, like, and what, I mean, to have a father who, you got to watch become a deacon. Yeah. What image is impressed upon you from that experience? Mm. Well, my dad is a six foot nine black man. <laughs> and so he's, he has, oh, he's so amazing. <laughs> he, is, he has a presence about him. And even before he was ordained, he was part of the, the scola at our parish. And mm. so he was a cantor. So people knew who my dad was. And then to watch that kind of transition from... Chip Jones, the singer, to Deacon Chip Jones, mm. and watching him step into that like servant role in a very particular way in the parish. That was really cool. I, I think it also, <laughs> I remember my mom telling us, like, people see you at mass and they're seeing you mess up with your sister, like, <laughs> if you're harassing your little sister during mass. People know that you're Deacon Chip's daughter. Like, I remember those types of conversations. But it also, like, drew us deeper into the parish life as well, because we were just involved in a lot of different things as a family. It's a family vocation. Like, when yeah, a deacon becomes... it really is. When a deacon becomes a deacon, the family is is there, you know? Yes. The family, he brings the family along with him. And your mother, I believe she has, she probably would not like me saying this. I believe she has the faith of a saint, mm-hmm. really. So I the agree. reverence doesn't shock me. I agree. And then your dad is clearly devoted to the church. And so it's not a shock that you grew up to be this woman who made the unique choice. Like it's not common for most Catholics to mm. make a living right? (laughs) To combine ministry with the way they make a living. It's a unique experience. And Deanna, share how that has helped your faith, how it strained your relationship with Jesus, and maybe even sometimes left you brokenhearted. Mm. I remember when I was looking for my first parish job almost 13 years ago now, and I was working for a nonprofit and my executive director at the time, I told him I really wanted to work for the church. And he said, Deanna, the fastest way to lose your faith is to work for the church. Hmm. And at that time, you know, I'm 22 years old and thinking like, or 24, I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like working for the church is the best thing ever. Like what could go wrong? <laughs> You're like, yay, <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Just ministry all the time. Cause I had people who just accompanied me really well growing yeah. up. And that's why I felt like I was really drawn towards serving the church because the, cir- the church had formed me. And Mm. the church was the reason why I had a relationship with Jesus and discovering that love of the Eucharist. So knowing what I know now, because it's interesting that you phrase that question as like making your living working for the church, because I don't think that's how I thought of it as a Mm -hmm. 24-year-old. It's like, I'm just going to work for the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been a wild ride. I think one of the first lessons I learned 
is that the church is very human. The church is beautiful. The bride of Christ is beautiful, but she can also be real ugly sometimes because mm. people in the church are hurting and wounded. The church herself is beautiful, but people in the church have wounds and that comes out. And I think one of the things that I've really discovered over the years is the messiness of ministry mm. and not being afraid of that, that ministry is not always squeaky clean or follows a certain program or mm. protocol as much as we want it to. Uh, but ministry is really stepping into people's mess or like w- walking alongside others and being willing t- to journey with them and not expecting everyone to just come to us mm. all the time. That's something that the Lord continues to convict me of, that we're, we're called to walk with people where they are and meet them where they are and journey with them closer to, to Christ. The Eucharistic table. Yeah. Exactly. Always to Christ. Always to Christ. Exactly. Yeah. The struggle I think has been like remembering that myself, that when I show up in my parish, I worked in a parish for seven years before coming to the Diocese of Tyler. And I think a consistent thing in both roles is I've really had to remind myself that when I show up in my parish or when I show up for mass, it's really easy to feel like you're on all the time mm-hmm. when you're in ministry. Like when I show up at my parish, I'm the pastoral minister and I'm representing my pastor or moving here. Like when I show up at the mm. cathedral, I'm the director of family life, but having to really rework that and remember that, well, first of all, I'm a child of God. And when I show up at my parish, God wants me for me. Like I'm not showing up for a job performance when I'm showing up to prayer it's not an evaluation. Mm. It's me showing up in my mess to the Lord. And I, and I am still in that place where I am having to like force myself to remember that because we only had two kids when we moved here. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm the director of family life. So when we show up at mass, our kids better be well-behaved, right? Cause I'm director of family life. Like I got my stuff together. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, if it's Alexandria, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And Simon. And after watching my children do things like run laps around the cathedral during the closing prayer, or my kids just being real loud at the worst times, uh, God has really shown me that he wants my mess too. (laughs) He wants the discombobulated family that's sitting in the parish cry room, like, and that's okay. That it's okay for us to show up that way. And perhaps in the mystery of faith, you are gift that way. Yes. Yeah, like in the mystery of faith, like there's the mess is gift. Do you want to learn theology but don't have the preparation or the time? The Catholic Theology Show, hosted by Michael Dauphiné, professor of theology at Ave Maria University, will help you discover the riches of our Catholic theology and come to know God better as he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Here, Dr. Dauphiné and fellow scholars discuss great theologians such as Aquinas and C.S. Lewis and topics like the Bible and conversion. Find the Catholic Theology Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit the link in the show notes to listen and subscribe today. Deanna, this is something that I thought you could uniquely bring. I always want to be careful with my guests because I know what's been interesting is we've recorded these episodes. I probably cried more than any guest. I've been over here boohooing, but I love a good, I love a good reason. (laughs) 
I'm okay with my Kleenex pile over here, but I do want to be mindful. But I know in our friendship, you've shared sometimes that as a very fair-skinned woman Mm. and as people, you know, this is in the document what we have seen and heard written by the 10 Black bishops of the United States. And they talk about the Black community in America and in the church growing in maturity. Mm. And I think over these past few years, that maturation has continued. As you and I have just processed some of our own experience of that, something you'll share sometimes is it's a little hard sometimes to call yourself a Black Catholic. Mm. You feel a little, uh, the counseling word is like disenfranchised, I guess due to the fairness of your skin. And I just want to know, like, when did that surface for you and how have you grown through that? Yeah. Yeah. Even when you invited me on this podcast, one of my first thoughts was, Mm -hmm. well, am I Black enough to be part of that conversation? And I think a lot of that stems from, I think high school was the first time that I had anyone ever question if I was Black. So I was the only Black student in my graduating class. Mm -hmm. And about sophomore year, I don't even remember how it came out, but I remember these two boys. I remember their names, but I won't call them out. I remember <laughs> them asking me like, Dina, are you actually black? I'm like, yeah, like, haven't you seen my parents? Like, mm-hmm. Obviously, and my hair and like my body type too. Like, to me at the time, it just seemed very obvious. And I remember them saying like, no, we, we just thought you were like just something or just mixed, but you're not black. And it started me kind of down this um, the spiral of wondering like, okay, well, am I Black enough? And then I had classmates that would make comments like, well, you're just marking the Black box because that will give you access to more scholarships or give you access to other opportunities. <sighs> and I remember thinking like, no, that's like, that's who I am. Because if there's anything that my parents did my parents did a great job about a lot of different things and they shared their their faith with me. But one of the things that I concretely remember is my mom, especially sharing our stories, sharing our Black history, mm. inviting me to do extra projects for school, especially during Black History Month about Martin Luther King, mm. Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman. Like, <laughs> like I learned these stories and she did such a great job of, of making it something that connected to me, Mm. like that's my history. So to hear these comments from, from classmates of saying like, but you don't look black. How can you check that box? Or, you know, was I trying to like bamboozle someone? Mm. (laughs) And I remember having these conversations with my parents. I'm like, oh, Dana, that's so silly. Of course you're black. But I remember even people in our family around that same time, I had a cousin make a comment to my parents. And I don't think she realized that I heard her. She said something like, Deanna's not going to understand what it means to be a black woman because of how you're raising her. Mm. And what she was referring to was our Catholic education, that because I was going to a school where there, I wasn't surrounded by a lot of black people, I wasn't going to understand what that meant. And that sent me into this, like, oh, do I understand what that means? Or can I claim can I claim that for myself if I don't have the same types of experiences? You know, I don't experience prejudice in the same way that like my dad did or does or my grandparents mm. did. Do I have a right to to claim those different things? And it's something that I continue to wrestle with, but I'll, but at the same time, I think I have a deeper sense of peace with it. I don't know if that's because the 23 in me 
results <laughs> confirmed that I am she so severe black, African. Black, black, black. Yes, let it black. be known. Let it be known. <laughs> got some European in- influence, but <laughs> but also thinking about how I have been raised and the com- the community that I'm around because there aren't a lot of Black Catholics yeah. where we are. Even being in Memphis, because of the part of Memphis we were in, like we didn't go to a predominantly Black parish, sure. but you know, just like finding this balance of being at peace with, yes, when someone asks me, what, what, what are you? Because I feel like I just, um, I think what, what happens when I encounter people and they can't put me in a box, they're like, I'm frustrated, but I don't know which box to put you in. You're not white, but I don't know if you're black or you Hispanic because you speak Spanish. Like it's been, it's kind of funny to, to see people wrestle with that. Um, but at the same time, um, I think especially over the last few years and especially during the summer of 2020, the conversations that were being had about race mm-hmm. and and I'm married to a French Norwegian man, very white, very white man. I love Michael. Uh, I love him so I much. I love Michael. <laughs> but how I was showing up to conversations even with him about certain situations that were happening or like the George Floyd situation or... Black Lives Matter, like it's been very interesting to to navigate this. And you've been extremely helpful in helping me to articulate, you know, some of the feelings that I was having at that time, because it was almost like people were trying to, to only have conversations from the Catholic perspective and leaving the Black experience out of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And like being in a place where I said, well, why can't we talk about both? Why, why can't we say... Yeah. Why can't we bring that both and of Catholicism to this conversation as well? So yeah, it's a, a long answer no, to it's your great. question, but it's thank you. What stands out to one? I mean, a lot stands out to me, but that like because your mom took the time, and probably because curriculums weren't including a lot of solid Black history or even Black Catholic history, so your mom took the time to teach you so that you could not be robbed. So when it came time for the devil to lie and steal, you know, the gift yep. of your blackness, you could not be robbed because she had bestowed it upon you. Um, yes. and she had let it take root in you. So that, I don't mm. know, that's what stands out to me. I'm just a huge fan of your mom. So yes. <laughs> I think it's becoming clear. She's a guest on this podcast as well, obviously. Uh, but Deanna, I want to transition to the theme of hope. How would you define hope and what is kind of one of your biggest hope stories that you'd like to share here? Mm, yeah. So it's such a good question. And when I took that to prayer, when I define what is hope, it is being able to take the next step, knowing that God is already there. Mm. Being able to confidently, t- or maybe not even confidently, but being, but knowing that I can take this next step and know that God is already whatever that next thing is. And since we were talking about my mom, we'll just keep talking about her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In 2021, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And that shook my world in so many different ways. But it was the time where I really experienced the joy uh, and uh, just the love of the body of Christ. And I don't mean that in like a super cheesy way, but just very concretely seeing how the body of Christ was there to nurture our family. 
I remember, I think a day in August of 2021, and it was a rough year all the way around. Like ministry was hard. Like Mm -hmm. there was lots going on. And this, and then getting the phone call about my mom's cancer diagnosis and finding out like it's either stage three or four, we don't know. But there was a day where we, we were waiting on test results and it was either going to be that she had something that was treatable or she only had a few months left. And we didn't know what that was going to look like. And I remember having a day where a friend had sent me a song. I think it's House of Miracles Mm. by Brandon Lake. And I played that song and it was a moment of just like total surrender to God and just standing there and being like, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know that you are in this. Mm. I know that you're in this mess and this heartache and this like just sitting in the unknown with the Lord is hard. It's really, really hard because we didn't know what was going to happen next or how we were going to respond to it. But knowing that God was there and I think the lyrics as I wrote them down, I still believe you're moving. I still believe you're speaking. God, I believe you're working all things for good. And Mm. being able to just stand there and surrender that to the Lord. And as soon as we had found out about my mom's cancer diagnosis, I remember texting like 15 or 20 priests and just saying, please pray for Mm -hmm. my mom because we don't know. We don't know anything, but Mm -hmm. it's not good. And the number of priests that texted us back or emailed or called and said, hey, I offered X number of masses for your mom, where I offered my rosary. That was the body of Christ like showing up Mm. for us and where I felt like I may not have the words to give to the Lord in adoration or even at mass to pray for my mom. Mm. I felt the church holding our family up and we're in Tyler. My family's in Memphis. I was able to go back and forth a couple of times, but seeing the community in Memphis there where my dad has been serving for 20 something years, Mm. just the meals that I don't think they had to make a meal for like six months or something (laughs) like that. It was amazing. But just seeing that, that, gave me so much and continues to give me so much hope because I think we hear a lot about the negative things about the church or parish life, but that was just a concrete experience of this is church. This is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And then to have that nourished by the Eucharist. So even being in a time of uncertainty to know that rock was there. And my mom is cancer free now. Mm. (laughs) What's resonates with me about your hope story is that it's not centered on the outcome, but centered on the thing that is unmoved, which is the church and the Eucharist. Mm. And so because that's unmoved, you know, that's how we know, like whatever the next step is, the outcome is God's there, right? Because he's mm. saying yesterday, today, Thank you. We are closing every episode the same way, inviting each guest to reflect on a beautiful quote from Servant of God, Sister Thea Bowman. I'm going to read it to you and just two questions like, how do you think today Blackness can be a gift to the church? And then what is your greatest hope for Black people in the Catholic Church? Mm-hmm. So here are her words, which I love. I don't get tired of reading it. She said, what does it mean to be Black and Catholic? It means that I come to my church fully functioning. I bring myself, my Black self, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to become. I bring my whole history, 
my traditions, my experience, my culture, my African-American song and dance and gesture and movement and teaching and preaching and healing and responsibility as gifts to the church. As you hear her words, how do you think today Blackness can be a gift to the church? And what is your greatest Mm. hope for Black people in the Catholic church? The first thing that comes to mind is that the church needs Black people. The church needs the Black community. Like we need that diversity. Mm-hmm. It just shows the beauty, the beauty of the of the church. And I think too often we get stuck in, well, Catholicism is supposed to look like this. It's supposed to fit into this box. But there's a depth to our faith that is so beautiful and diverse. And I really think that as black people, we can, we can bring something, we can bring experiences. The church is so diverse and she brings with her in the body of Christ, so many different unique experiences and the black experience is needed in the church. It's essential to the church Mm. and that we have a place there. And I mean, I mean, you know, Tyler, and you know, the, the, the maybe lack of diversity that we have sometimes, but we do have a lot of different um, shades and, and different experiences here. But sometimes I wonder, like, do black people know that they're wanted in the Catholic church, that, that they're needed in the Catholic church? And my hope is that as a church, we can articulate that so much better that there's a need for this diversity, but that that experience and the culture, all of it, like we want, we want all of it mm-hmm. in the church, if that makes sense. Yeah. I love you so much. <laughs> I'm very grateful for you. <laughs> it is an honor to run alongside you in service to the church. Yeah. Great oh, joy. Great joy. Uh, Deanna Johnson from the Diocese of Tyler. Uh, delightful, wonderful, talented director of family faith formation and marriage formation. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you, sister. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I hope it was a blessing to you as much as it was to me. I will be praying for you and please pray for me. And know, like for real, I'm really going to pray for you. <laughs> This has been a production of OSV Podcasts. Use code HOPE25. That's H-O-P-E-2-5 for 25% off plus free shipping on Sister Josephine's book at osvbooks.com slash hope. Do you want to learn theology but don't have the preparation or the time? The Catholic Theology Show, hosted by Michael Dauphiné, professor of theology at Ave Maria University, will help you discover the riches of our Catholic theology and come to know God better as he has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Here, Dr. Dauphiné and fellow scholars discuss great theologians such as Aquinas and C.S. Lewis and topics like the Bible and conversion. Find the Catholic Theology Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit the link in the show notes to listen and subscribe today.